This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. There's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the 2022, so the 2022 Thanksgiving Tag Team Tough Man Competition. And I got to be honest, this year, I didn't want to do it. Uh, I got a lot going on. I'm coaching a high school football team that is still in the playoffs. I knew we were going to have practice on Thanksgiving Day. Just You just know it. It's, I don't know. I had a feeling that we were going to keep winning. I had a feeling that we were going to make the playoffs. I had a feeling it was going to be a rough day. I'm also doing a lot of data analytics work. It's consuming me. It's consuming a lot of my life. I have a lot going on with work, and I just knew it was going to be a busy day. How could I have Thanksgiving morning with thanks with the tough man? How can I have uh, practice that day? What am I we're hosting Thanksgiving at my house? You know, how am I going to have the mental clarity to go chase guys around like we normally have to do? Because some guys are just they're pains. Some guys you got to beg to come. Some guys say they're going to come and they bail out on you. Some guys say they're going to come and then the morning of they don't show up. So I really don't want to do it, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it because this is, again, a time for guys to get back together, guys that don't see each other all the time, to have a mini reunion, and a mini reunion in a competitive way. And I'll, I'll tell you how competitive these guys are. For me, planning is priceless. Sorry, planning is useless, but the act of planning is priceless. I'll say that again. Planning is useless, but the act of planning is priceless. So for me, I listen to the previous episodes of the Tough Man podcast so I can be prepared as possible for these events so I don't make mistakes so I learn from what I did before so I make it better every year because I don't want to be the guy who's hosting the event who somehow robs a team of their victory because I, I did something wrong and it, it's been close before and I, there's been time where I set up a draw wrong and I don't want to be that guy I'm not saying I won't be that guy but I don't want to be that guy so I endlessly prepare for this thing and that was the other part of it before the same I don't I don't know if I have the mental capacity to prepare for this event, not let alone chase guys down and have people disappointment. But I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad that I was able to be a part of bringing these guys back together just for another another chance to compete, another chance to compete with their brothers head-to-head in some form of formalized competition. And the other part of this is that as part of my preparation, listening to those podcasts, I sent it out to the guys. And that's how you know they take it seriously because we got guys taking notes. We have teams talking about it. I got people texting me about their strategies, and they're all pretty damn smart. They're pretty pretty damn smart strategies. So I like it. And Billy Blanco had asked, how, how long have we been doing this? And I went back and looked again at the archives because I document everything. We started this in 2018. We just had two teams. I think it was like two teams of six or two teams of seven. And we did it at Bloomingdale Park. We did it, the two teams, best out of seven competition. And I remember I competed that year and I lost. And uh, something that sticks out to me, I shouldn't say I lost, my team lost, but I was on that team and I still take it personally, is that I was still, I was so happy. Even though we lost, I was happy for Jimmy Yuski because he's a smaller guy 
he really had never proven himself at these outdoor events, and he was the anchor on the last event in Game 7, and he basically, quote-unquote, won it for his team with an unbelievable showing as the anchor is his event, and his guys all jump on him. They were super pumped up. At this point, it's just a group, a small group of guys. It's not formalized, and I was just, I couldn't have been more happier for a guy, especially a guy who just basically beat me and my team in that event. But that was the, the first year we ever did it. The other thing I'll say that sticks out is that we were planning for that event, and this goes back to people disappointing you. We invited old guys, young guys, anybody that wanted to come. We normally just had a workout on Thanksgiving morning, and one, I can't remember who said it or how it happened, but somebody said, let's, let's make this interesting. Let's make it an actual tag team event. Let's get more people to come and make it fun. If I'm going to wake up, let's make it fun. So one of the guys we reached out to was Joe Sardo. Joe had just finished college football. He had a lot of bravado, and uh, and he didn't really have a lot of connection with most of the guys who were going to be competing in the event. Maybe he knew of them. Maybe they knew of him, but he talked a lot of trash, a lot of trash, and he pissed a lot of people off, and then he didn't show up. <laughs> so he did all that trash talking, and then he did not show up to the Tough Man event. And I just think back of how much he's developed as a human being, as a coach, as a as a mentor of young minds. And now he's a guy that inspires. He's a guy that coaches. He's a guy that leads. And there's no more trash talking out of Joe Sarno. So I just those two things stick out in my head from 2018. And it's been a long, a long, long way of progression and evolving from the group, from the people in the group, how they handle this. And uh, it's awesome. So again, I'm glad we did it. And I, I get kind of emotional thinking about it because this is bigger than just a workout on Thanksgiving morning. It's bigger than a couple of guys going out and playing uh, two-hand touch, trying to relive their youth on Thanksgiving morning. This is guys getting after it again together in a formalized, competitive environment. Because it is, I think it's formal. I'm the, I'm the judge jury on every single drill. There's a, there's a stopwatch. There's a score. People win, people lose. So anyway, let's get to the actual event. So planning is useless. The act of planning is priceless. I get to the field, and there is frost everywhere. And the dew point is very close to the temperature. And that means that there's going to be a slick ground. So there's two extremes of the ground. You got scorched earth, as Billy Blanco says, where you can't move anything. And then you got this frost where you can move everything. And it's it's a blessing and a curse with this frost. Because the frost means the prowler is going to be a little easier to move. Uh, but the bad part is that chain is really wet. It's going to get wet, and it's hard to pull that chain. And when you're doing sliders, sliders are going to fall out. And they did. People lost sliders all day. And they're, they're, again, part of my planning is uh, priceless. Sorry, planning is useless, but the act of planning is priceless. When I go back and listen to those podcasts, I relive the rules. I relive the moments and the rules that we had to implement because guys had beaten the system. So Joe Marechko has the Marechko rule where you need to run around a cone, not in front of it. You need to be touching the toy as you pass the line. You got Joe Sarno's rule where you can't stick your foot out and touch the the sled as you're pulling it in. You gotta have it go past a certain length. We put a bucket there to make it go past it. We've got the Joe Sarno rule where if you lose a slider, you can only put your foot on the ground for one second because he was like slicking up the front of his cleats, so they say, and doing sliders with one foot. So all those rules come into play and before we start, I even explain those rules to the guys. I explain them. They get them. They know them. So we got this frost on the ground. So what I do when I get out of the car with this frost on the ground, I'm reliving, playing these rules in my head. And for the first time, and maybe the only time in advanced training history, I make the tough man 20 yards instead of 15 yards. So usually the length of 15 yards, I make it 20 yards. Now 20 is the longest I could go because the chain that I use for the sled pull, it's only 20 yards long. So I can't get any longer than that. And there is some sort of, I don't know, there's a rhyme and a reason to the way we set up the drill. There's a rhyme and a reason to the lengths we use. And there's a rhyme and a reason to the, to the setup and cleanup of each station after 
the, the last team goes. So anyway, I make everything 20 yards. I put a lot more weight on all the toys. So planning is useless. The act of planning is priceless. I brought extra weight just in case. Now, the night before, I'm looking at the dew point, asking my wife, what's the dew point going to be? She says, who cares? I said, a lot of people care. When these guys get out of their car, they're actually talking about what's the dew point. What's the dew point? What's the dew point? So like dew point, it's, uh, it's like your biggest competitor on Gainte. Well, I think it was 28 degrees, and the dew point was 27. So, yeah, we had some slick earth. So I added distance. I added weight just to keep things interesting and competitive. But again, that slick ground is a blessing and a curse. To make things even more interesting, part of my lessons learned is to keep your stopwatch in the car until the last possible moment. Well, I get the stopwatch out of the car right before we start. Guess what? Frozen. Uh, I have to use my cell phone. Not really the biggest fan of using my cell phone to, to keep time. Also, because the cell phone could be unreliable because the colder it is, the faster your cell phone battery dies. But again, planning is useless. The act of planning is priceless. I also kept that in the car, nice and warm, and I charged that sucker up the night before, the morning of, and on the way to the field. So it actually lasted. And then uh, lastly, and maybe the most odd, was that I brought a grease board with all of the grids for this double elimination tag team tough man that we have. So it's a double elimination. Your team loses twice, and you're out. So the grids are ready. The names are up. And uh, I got my grease stick right before we start because I figured maybe that might freeze. And it writes a little bit, and then I can't write anymore. I tell Andrew Cortese, hey, run to my car. Give me another grease stick. That one also, I think, freezes. But what I find out, it's not the grease stick that froze. It's the board. As I'm drawing, I see frost building up on the tip of the grease stick. So the board was so cold that it froze. So this is just giving you a little bit of a picture of what happened and the elements that were going on right before we even start. So again, before we start, I talk the guys through everything. I give them the rules, and then I give them one last warning. That, listen, when you do a prowler, do not, do not, do not, as you get to one length of the prowler, go to the other. Do not go to the other side of the prowler and pull it backwards if you don't reach the finish line to try and make up for that little distance and don't pull it backwards by the handles because the handles will fall out. And oh, by the way, Mark Strange did this and the handles fell out and all the weight came out. Migs did this. All the handles fell out. All the weight fell out. And both of those teams basically lost or it was part of their loss because that happened. And it was in the podcast that I sent out as a warning. So this is now the third year in a row that I'm warning people not to do this, both on the podcast and in person. So why am I saying this? Because the first group that goes up we have two teams that start first. It's 2009 versus 2013. The 2009 team goes up, and uh, Pete Amorosi, he's prepared. He's like, we're putting Teddy Colhesi as the last leg of the Prowler as part of this event. I'm not even explaining what the event is anymore. If you want to know what the event is, listen to other podcasts on it. But he's going to be the last guy, and he's going to come out of the Prowler, and he gets that extra sprint to the bucket. So I'm going to put him there because he's fast, and he's one of our fastest guys. I'm going to put him there. So Colhesi pushes the high handle, he tries to turn this thing around, he doesn't hit the line completely, pulls back, all the weights fall out. And Mark Strange did this last year, Mark Strange was on his team, and he did this, and this is why they lost to 2013 in the last year, in last year's Thanksgiving Tag Team Tough Man. So, the foreshadowing comes in, it smacks him in the face, and because of that, they hit it in 2 minutes and 9 seconds. A pretty awful time. Guess who they're going against? The 2013 team. So now two years in a row, the 2013 team gets the benefit of the 2009 team pulling the handles out of the prowler. And the 2013 team is pretty damn good. You got Sarno, an advanced training legend. You got Galley, the last year's tough man winner, and two years in a row, challenge runner-up. So he has now made himself an advanced training legend. You got Spears, freak. You got John Goldman, freak. And then you got Rob Wallen, who just gets better and better and better 
and better. So that's a pretty good team. Now, and they knock out a 147. So they they beat them by over 20 seconds. Just boom, they're in. So they win round one. The 2009 team is in the loser's bracket. We're going to go to the next bucket here. We got the dogs. The dogs is composed of a bunch of guys, or some guys, who were on the team that won it all last year. Jimmy Uski's on that team. They won it last year. You had uh, Rob Mulligan, who was on that team. They won it last year. You got Andrew Cortese, who was on that team. They won it last year. So you got three seasoned veterans who have won the, the Thanksgiving Tag Team Tough Man. And at the end, they get a nice little uh, turkey trophy that one of them gets to bring home. And their job is to bring it to the next Tough Man so that whoever wins it gets the trophy that year. They also pick up Youngblood, the six foot five or six foot four college football player who was in the top four last year for advanced training. And they have Sean Mulligan, who we call Captain America because uh, he looks like Captain America. I think one day he showed up to training and he actually looked like a superhero walking around. So that's a pretty dude up team. And they're going against the Wedding Crashers. So by the way, that team, the Dogs, only has five guys. The Crashers, at the time, only have three guys. So I'm trying to buy time for the crashes because my rule is if you only have three guys, you can't compete. Because one year we had three guys left because other guys couldn't finish the tough man because it got so hard. And one of them had to go to football practice, Joe Sarno. So I, I had it was just so brutal, I had to throw them out of the competition. So I said, okay, I'll buy you some time. I let the 2009-2013 team go first. Then finally their fourth guy shows up. So Hezra was a guy who just came to the tough man last year during Thanksgiving. He got the bug, and now he's an integral part of advanced training. This year he sets up his team. He's got him. He's got Weintraub, the 2022 uh, challenge champ. He's got Shalasi, a, a finalist, or a damn near a finalist of the last two years for the tough man and challenges. So he's a, another dude, and they pick up uh, Chirelli. But Chirelli is late. I don't know why he's late. I don't care why he's late, but he does show up. So he shows up just in time. For all these matches, by the way, we do a, a plate flip instead of a coin flip before we go. There's heads. Heads is the part with the, the name of the weight on it and like 45 pounds, X amount of kilos. Well, actually, it was a 10-pound plate. And then on the back side was just the, the blank face. So we flip it heads or tails every single time, uh, and the crashes go, and they get 1 minute and 59 seconds. Not an awful time, not a great time, but pretty respectable given they only have four guys and for Chirelli, it's his first time ever. Okay, the dogs go. They got this team of KG veterans. They got five guys, and they knock it out in 149. So they have the second best time of the day. So now, we're going to go to the loser's bracket. We have the Crashers versus the 2019. So the Crashers take this team of four guys, and they trim 14 seconds off their time. So the first time they did 159, the second time they do 145. Pretty good, especially now you start to learn stuff, right? You start to learn, especially for a guy's first time, uh, Torelli, actually learning how to do everything. So then the two, they go against the 2009 team, who was just humbled by the Prowler, humbled by Colhesi pulling the uh, the plates off. Again, he did what Mark Strange did. He restacked and finished the, the drill, so I was proud of that. But they knock out a 139. So they go from the worst time to the best time. And a little bit of foreshadowing, this is the best time of the day. The best time of the day is 139. Something else to say is they did the same thing last year. They lost in round one. They go into the loser's bracket. Uh, and then they win the first round of the loser's bracket. All right, so this is kind of feeling like other years. They've never won it before. Kind of feeling like other years. All right, here we go again. So let's go back to the winner's bracket. We got the dogs, and we got the 2013 team. One thing I like about the 2013 team is that when they went second... After the 2019 blew it, 
Joe Sarno said, we're, we're sending a message. We're not just going to walk through this thing. We are sending a message. So they hit a 147. Well, they go again, and now they hit a 149. Again, a good time. I can't remember when. I can't remember what round, but we've had penalties in almost every round. Guys not pushing the sled all the way through. Uh, sorry, the prowler all the way through. Guys dropping the farmer's walk. Guys touching the ground too much in their sliders. To be honest, so much has happened on that day that I forget. But there was penalties applied, so they get a 149. The dogs go. They get a 143. So they beat their first time of 149 by six seconds. So now the dogs are making it. They're in the championship. So if you win your first two matches, you are in the championship. You get to hang out and watch what goes on in the loser's bracket. So here we go. We're in the loser's bracket. We have 2009 versus 2013. And like I said, this has happened before to 2009. They get this far, and then they blow it. Well, they go against... 2013, and 2013 gets their, of course they do, they get their best time of the day, 144. But, the 2009 team, they get 142. So now, the 2009 team, they are in the championship. And I gotta say, the 2009 team, they didn't make it to the championship last year, but they made it in 2019. The first time we actually had, like, elimination rounds and all this stuff, they made it to the championship, and they lost to 2000, the class 2014. This class of 2014 had this guy named Joe Ruskowski on it. But Pete Amorosi, being the master strategist, what he did was he married Joe Ruskowski's sister and drafted Joe Ruskowski onto his team. Now, this is probably a made-up fairy tale. But for the purposes of a great story, I'm going to say he intentionally went out, found a woman he could marry who had a, who had a brother who was a great athlete, and then brought him onto his team. So now... Now we have Joe Ruskowski as part of this 2019. And let's just talk about who's on the 2019 because we didn't talk about it yet. We have Pete Amorosi. We have Pete Baraji, two guys who are like advanced training legends. You got Teddy Colhesi. I think he won the first three tough mans in a row that we ever had where guys were like, please don't invite him back ever. Advanced training legend. You got Billy Blanco, advanced training legend. You got Mark Strange, a guy who, again, was like, he, he, <laughs> he hurt the team last year by pulling those polls out, but he's a guy who is reinventing himself every single day. Uh, he was on a six-minute Monday a few, I don't know, a few months ago talking about doing push-ups every hour at work or 10 minutes. I don't know what it was, but it was insane. Doing it at work. Guys working at a car dealership doing push-ups. So you got this team together of the 2009 guys, and uh, now they're in the finals. So let's get back to that little trophy that I mentioned. So I asked Jimmy Yuski. I didn't see him walk out of his car with the trophy. He was the guy that got to hold the trophy the year before. Hey, uh, Jimmy, you got that trophy? No. I said, okay, uh, giving your team a penalty for not having the trophy. Now, look, they have to lose two matches in a row to lose because 2009, they've already got a loss. We're in the championship now. We got 2009 versus two, 2000, 2019 versus the Dogs. Look, got to make sure uh, you got the trophy. Sorry, we don't have it. Okay, I'm giving you a penalty. So now, Yuski's already sworn off uh, to me that he's not coming next year, even though I have to beg him every year to come. He's not coming to the Tough Man because of this little thing I did. He actually sent me something afterwards saying, like, I am like Vince McMahon, and uh, I screwed him over like uh, Bret Hart got screwed over back in the day. I don't know. Spoiler alert. Anyway, go look it up versus uh, Shawn Michaels when he took the belt from him. So I give them a penalty. We talk about who's going to go first or second. So I, I actually asked the 2019, you got a choice. You either get to give them a five-second penalty or a six-second penalty, or you get to decide if they go first or second in this event. They say, we're giving them the penalty. 
So that because they give them the penalty, the 2009 team goes first, and they go and they knock it out in 146. 146. Pretty good. Pretty good, especially when you start going. This is like now their fourth round. Who knows if legs are a little tired? I don't know, but 146 is a pretty damn good time. The 2000, sorry, the dogs go, and uh, they shuffle up their order a little bit because James Uski, you know, before we go, he says, I'm coming, but only if I can only do sliders. Okay, Jimmy, I don't care. Negotiate that with your team. So he negotiates it with his team. He's going to only do sliders. But this event doesn't seem to be the case. He said they're calling an audible, and all of a sudden I see him on the prowler. All right, maybe they're switching things up a little bit. I don't know. Let's see what goes on. So they go. Uh, they got Youngblood on the sliders, and Youngblood's going pretty slow. And I'm like, huh, did he get really bad at sliders since uh, he went to college? And then I realize that these guys are throwing the event. They are actually all intentionally going as slow as humanly possible. And Joe Sarno is screaming to me that they are, I will not use all the words he said, but he basically said that they are disrespecting advanced training. They are going against everything I would ever believe in, and they're making a mockery of the event. So they're intentionally dogging the event because if you think about it, in hindsight, at least this is what I think they told me they were doing, they thought they were going to lose anyway. They saw the other guy's time. They didn't think they were going to win with a five-second penalty. So why would they exert themselves and get tired before they would have to go again in the actual final? Because again, 2009 has to beat them twice. So these guys actually dog the event, and they finish in two minutes and 20 seconds. Now think about this. They went out of their way to dog the event and finish in 2 minutes 20 seconds. And the 2009 team, when they went the first time and pulled all the weight out of the <laughs> the farmer's walk and Teddy Klasi had to reassemble it, they still beat him. They beat him with 2000 and, sorry, 2 minutes and 9 seconds. So think about how slowly these guys were going. And uh, someone else, John Goldman, said to me, you probably love this. And then I was thinking, yeah, this is right. This is I love and hate this at the same time. I hate that they're intentionally losing. Because remember, the 2013 team, when they had it won, they still wanted to send the message. They were going to beat the 2009 team in round one when they lost all the way to the Prowler. I, I was like, they, I love that Sarno was like, we're sending a message, we're still going to kill it. So I hated that these guys were intentionally dogging it. But I also love the strategic aspect of it because, to me, it's all about the mind and the body working together as one. And you know me as a football coach, this one of the biggest things in a game is the clock. My three rules of scoring are you need the ball, you need time to score when you have the ball, and you have the ability to score when you have the ball. So these guys were basically working the clock, and uh, I love it, and I hate it at the same time. They finish in 2 minutes and 20 seconds. So (laughs) for anybody who knows me, they also know that I will not be beaten at my own game. So what I say is, okay, because you disrespected advanced training, in the finals there is no coin flip, your group is going first. So they go again. Now, part of what I was thinking when they were going so slowly is that I actually thought that they were waiting for the ground to dry up and give them scorched earth, which would have been a master, master strategy. Except the ground didn't dry up. And they were actually taking a really long time to set up for their last event. I was thinking maybe if they get scorched earth, by the time the 2019 wraps this thing up, the ground's going to be solid. We, We saw what happened at the Tough Man in the summer this year. It was like Galley went, Marechko went, and then the ground went completely bone dry in the middle of Yurchek's event. I don't know if this was their plan or not, but it would have been brilliant if it worked out. Anyway, they go, and they hit a great time of 146, considering how many events they did, and they went back-to-back. Even though they dogged it, they hit 146. So now we get back to the 2009 team. Can they win it? They are uh, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. 
<laughs> again, 2019, they make it to the finals, they lose. 2020, they don't even have a team. They have so few guys able to show up that Baraji has to go with, uh, at the time we called them the Young Bloods, and those guys reeked of alcohol and cologne and probably just came out of some club and he was on their team. And I think Blanco was the only other guy, and he had to go with uh, Coach Manos and the Legends. I'm not saying this is bad, but they weren't part of their 2019. Last year, they lose to 2013 in like the quarterfinals. And now here they are. Can they pull it off? And yes, they do. They finish in 144. So they beat the two th- the dogs by one, by two seconds. Unfortunately, they don't have a trophy. Unfortunately, Yuski is blaming for me, me for this. Uh, anyway, big win by these guys. I'm happy for them. It's been a long time coming. Uh, and this is like guys that have not yet won a belt yet at advanced training. Well, now you got one. The Blanco, the Baraji, the Pete Amorosi, guys who have been competing for the last few years in these challenge competitions and tough men haven't gotten one. Well, now you got one. Now you got one. So you're up on the wall. You're on the wall of fame. And I got to say, if you want to win, you, you, Mano said, Coach Mano said this a few years ago, it's better to pick the reliable guys than the dude that might show, not show up. Because go through the history. The teams that have the most guys, they normally win. Right now, this team had six guys. That's big. And there's six quality guys. Six guys that showed up. Six guys that showed up on time. Six guys that you could rely on to do their job as part of the drills. The Crashers they only had four guys. They were two and out. So if you want to win this thing, here's a little foreshadowing. Get five other guys that you trust and have them come to this event. Five other guys you trust. And that's what this 2009 team is, man. These guys are just, they're just all quality dudes that trust each other. Now, a couple other things that stuck out in my head. Uh, one is that we added more weight to the farmer's walk than normal, and that that wet ground and that, that dew gets on that farmer's walk handle, but the guys were just crushing it. I'm just thinking about Baraji, Mulligan, Spears uh, running with this thing with one hand. Hezra picked it up with two hands and sprinted forward, but guys, I thought that was gonna I thought that was going to be the differentiator, and it turned out not to be. What turned out to be the differentiator was the sled. The sled was was so wet. That chain was so wet. But something that sticks out to me is that Pete Amorosi killed it. You would think it wasn't wet. <laughs> he just had this nice smooth stroke. He uh, he nailed it. Even Joe Sarno, the guy who was so good at the sled, I had to put my own, had to put rules in for him. He he fumbled it a little bit. People found out, wow, maybe he actually is a human being. It's kind of like when Xerxes in 300 got the, uh, the knife across his cheek and he bled. Well, Joe Sarno actually fumbled with that chain a little bit. People think he's a little human now. So that stuck out to me. The last thing that stuck out to me was Rob Wallen. So a guy I keep saying keeps getting better and better and better. Uh, I'll say this. When he first started advanced trading, he was absolutely awful. I, I'll even say, Wallen, there was a time where Sarno didn't want you on his tag team team because he was so hyper-competitive. But now you're on the team. And I got to say, not only is he on the team, he was the opener. So his slider was awesome. Not only was his slider awesome, his sprint out of the slider was awesome. So this is all valuable seconds. So he get, when you get out of the slider, you got to sprint to the next guy. The farmer's walk... Now, this guy is an absolute contributor. So Sardo, not, not only did he like, say, like, I don't want uh, Wallen on the team, but he, he went, he trained Wallen. And then Wallen becomes a staple of advanced training. Wallen becomes an absolute competitor. I'm trying to do my, my math here, but I think Wallen made it pretty damn far into the, uh, the challenge competition last year where he beat, wow, my mind's a little blank right now. I should go back into the history books. But he beat somebody. He, he beat Marechko. Maybe he wasn't supposed to beat Moreshko. He beat somebody at the very end of this thing that he sh- probably shouldn't have beat, and he-, he killed it. So 
Wallen, apologies, I can't remember who you did not beat in the Challenge Championship last year. Again, my mind is blurry. Got too many things going on. But that sprint, that, that competitive spirit was awesome. And you had a guy that originally didn't want you on his team, now trained you, and then now you're a pivotal part of his team, and every year you're on his team. So awesome, because you're with a bunch of beasts. Two other things that stuck out as we're wrapping up the, the, the event and loading my truck. All you start to see coming onto the field are grown men. I'm talking... Not like 25-year-old men, not 35-year-old men, maybe not even 45-year-old men, maybe 50-year-old men showing up and with football jerseys on, Raiders jerseys, Colts jerseys, Chargers jerseys, and they are they're getting ready to play two-hand touch. And I'm thinking, these are guys, I don't know, I'm just thinking about these guys, and I'm thinking about the football team that I'm coaching right now. These are guys that I, my guess, if I'm guessing, I could be completely wrong. Maybe they never played high school football or college football. Maybe they're trying to relive something that they never lived in before. Maybe they did play high school or college football. I don't know. Maybe they played and they didn't appreciate it enough when they played. But there's a bunch of men coming back on Thanksgiving morning to play a sport. Now, the reason this hits me is because we had football practice that day. And you never know how kids are going to take it. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. Why do we have practice? Why do we got to do it? But they're doing it for real. They have a legitimate purpose behind what they're doing. Hell, I'll even say it to the guys doing this tag team competition. To me, that's still real. It's not like we're just picking up teams that morning and we play a, a game. Like This is like a thing that we have score. We put it up on a website. We give people a trophy. Like There's times recorded. To me, this is about as formalized as you're going to get without playing the game of football. So it just hit me that you got all these grown men showing up. Who knows if they've been working out all year? Who's been training for it all year? But they're trying to do the thing that we're trying to get our players to be appreciative of every single day. So if you're a young athlete, I know no one cares when you're a kid. You're not going to realize it until you're 40. But embrace every moment that you got on that field. Embrace every moment that you got on that field. And Wallen, apologies, it just came to me. You did beat Joe Marechko in that postseason event. Uh... So, apologies, but you did beat him, and I think he gave Galley a hell of a run in that semifinal. Anyway, going back to the next thing that, that moved me was Galley. So, Galley, Tough Man champion last year. I don't know, we really haven't spoken since he won the Tough Man in August. We, I load up the truck, and then he's like, Coach, I got to talk to you about last year. I said, okay. So, on the podcast last year, I talked about that Galley had to go first. He wasn't supposed to go first, but he had to go first because he showed up late. Now, Galley was a guy that sleeps in the parking lot. Galley's a guy that works shift work. He works in a powerhouse. So when Galley, show, Galley said, Coach, I had a rough week of work. I've been working overtime every day. When he showed up late, I thought he was showing up late from the powerhouse. So I didn't really completely and totally destroy him and give him a major penalty because I thought he was showing up from work. What it turns out was, he tells me afterwards, he had a rough week at work, and he went out with his friends the night before to unwind. So I mentioned this on the podcast. I also mentioned that he ate like a cheeseburger and french fries the night before, and it worried me that if he told somebody that, they would think, oh, well, Galley eats a cheeseburger and french fries, so I'm going to eat a cheeseburger and french fries, and that's the way to go. Anyway, I haven't spoken to Galley since the tough man in August, and he comes back telling me, like, that, like basically justifying his position and I don't know if it was to say he didn't want me to think less of him or to justify that he wasn't lying to me or whatever. And nor do I care because I love the kid. He's a great competitor. What I do care about is that it's stuck with him. <laughs> he's a qui- If you meet Tom Galley, he's a quiet guy. He's 
a super athlete, super competitive, but he is not a rah-rah screamer trash talker. He's not a big dude either. So if when you look at him, you would never think that on a football field he can break all your bones. And I remember when we, his senior year, he was one outside linebacker. Joe Sarno was the other outside linebacker. Joe Sarno was this big, hulking dude that people were like, ah, we're not going to run towards him. He's a monster. And they'd run to that galley, and then galley would break their teeth. And then they oh, so run to the other guy, and then Sarno would break their teeth. It was just a great problem to have as a defensive coordinator to have both, both those guys at the edge. So I just love to get here somebody because Galley doesn't talk all that much. I just love that it bothered him. I love that it bothered him. Uh, and I, that's what this thing's all about. Like, little things that motivate someone to be the best they can be. I wasn't intentionally trying to bother him. Sometimes I do try and intentionally bother people just to motivate them. But in this instance, instance, I wasn't. I was just telling people what I had heard, what I thought, and don't eat cheeseburgers the night before your event because that's not the best way to do things. I just love that this guy's so competitive that it bothered him. And I also think it's great that he didn't speak to me in four months, and the first time we have an actual conversation, he tells me that that bothered him and that he wasn't trying to lie to me. So, Gally, I know you weren't trying to lie to me. I just misunderstood what you said. I will never doubt your competitive spirit. I, I know you are a massive competitor. And for everybody else out there, this is, again, it's just another thing that makes this beautiful. So, again, I did not want to have this event. I was exhausted. My mind is still cluttered right now, but I'm so glad I did it. I love you guys. Thank you for being a part of it, and I will see you next year. Bye. This episode is brought to you by ProPulse Speed Trainers, created by the mad scientist himself, David Weck. Now, in my 20-plus years of evaluating athletes, there was always one thing one thing that I could look at and tell you if this athlete was going to be sick or if they were going to be an our coordinated mess. And I could tell you that in about five seconds. And what was it? It was the way their upper bodies moved in sync with their lower bodies. If they were in complete and total sync, I knew the athlete was going to be sick. You've always heard, look at this guy's arm angles. Look at the way the violent arm action, the way this guy runs. Well, those were always the best athletes. Now, what David Weck did is he created these little miniature weights that are about 12 ounces each that you can hold in your hand. And inside of those weights, he has these little beads. And when you run and when, you move, when you're pumping those arms, when those weights are pumping those arms, you can actually hear with those beads if you are on the right rhythm. It's actually sending a signal to your brain to say, yep, I am in pace, I am in rhythm, and it will instantly get your upper body and lower body in sync. If you want to become like Michael Jordan, Randy Morse, LeBron James, Derek Jeter, watch these guys run, watch their sick arm angles, get yours today. Go to shop.weckmethod.com. That's shop, W-E-C-K, that's weckmethod.com. Put in the code WMA270. Again, that's W. MA270. It will get you 10% off of any item that you buy. Go and get yours today.